How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Welcome to Locked on oh, Disappointment. <laughs> I think that, that's probably right. Uh... I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is Frank Madden, and we are physically in person. Um, I can reach out and touch Frank right now, if I so choose. Uh, we're recording at the Madden residence, um, and it's about 8 o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, the Bucks lose today 87-76, to and... I guess Frank, you were in the building, so <laughs> I, I, I'm blaming on you. I think that I think that's only fair. Um, I, I guess just general thoughts and and feelings. <laughs> All the feelings. Uh, first off, I feel like we should have like a, a you know some a, a new intro from a professional radio voice guy. Now that we're like recording in our little fake studio here, you know, like coming to you live from the Seat Geek Studios in Mequon, Wisconsin. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, let me let me start with a positive, which is I flew here uh, from from Austin, Texas, where I live, and I left at five o'clock on Friday night. Flew through Detroit. I have a six thirty a.m. flight on Sunday morning. Woof. Woof, indeed. Um, and if you had told me, you know, a few days ago that I would fly back and watch the Bucks lose a rock fight to the Toronto Raptors <laughs> on Saturday, I would have thought very long and hard about whether I would purchase that plane ticket. Um, but, uh, you know, I have to say, being here uh, in Milwaukee on a, a beautiful April day, I got to hang out with the... Uh, extended Brew Hoop family, Brett Abramchik, uh, uh, Gabe Stoltz was there, Eric Benning, uh, at Rachel Hoops, Rachel <laughs> was there. Um, I'd only met Eric previously, so uh, so it was cool to meet the uh, the rest of the gang. Um, had lunch with them, and then um, saw a bunch of people at the Bucks game. I was walking to the courtside club, and all of a sudden I felt myself being hugged, and it was you, so that was nice. Um <laughs> And uh, no, it was it was a it was a cool experience. It was cool to see Milwaukee, uh, especially in the first half and for parts of the fourth quarter, sort of in full voice. Yeah. Um, to see sort of the, you know, the vibe around playoff Bucks basketball again, which we have only seen sort of in fits and starts. So, um, I don't regret coming. I will Good. say that. I Good. apologize if my presence had any, oh, neg- had any negative effect. I blame the fact that the Bucks. The Bucks are two and zero in the Fear of the Deer black jerseys, uh, and they again lost when they did not wear the Fear of the Deer black jerseys in this playoff. So I'm going to blame that instead. Yeah, I'm okay um, with that. But uh, but yeah, it was um, it was a day that could have been really really awesome. Uh, a beautiful Saturday afternoon, uh, and unfortunately, inside the Bradley Center, the game was was not very pretty. And um, you know, I've been waiting for the Bucks to have sort of one of these egg laying games. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we're going to have a positive from it, it is that um, they were in this game and their defense sort of gave them a chance to compete for this game in spite of the fact that offensively they really struggled with the lack of size, uh, the, the, yep. the sort of spunkiness and quickness and athleticism of a revised Raptors front starting lineup that now didn't have Jonas Valanciunas, had Norm Powell slotted in um so they went smaller which you know we've seen a lot of obviously smaller lineups you hadn't really seen much of any Powell other than in garbage time in the last game um so it was interesting to see him be thrown in I think a lot of us assumed PJ Tucker would get the call into the starting five in Valanciunas's place but um but I don't know it's it's weird to look at the box score because you know you look at you know you look at some of these stats and you say well if you told me the Raptors shoot five out of 22 and 41 percent overall and only get four offensive rebounds despite all those misses, I would have said, 
sign me up for that. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, if you're a Raptors fan and you saw that the Bucks would shoot five out of twenty-one from three and thirty-seven percent and turn it over, you know, twenty, uh, twenty-one times, um, you would have said the Raptors win by twenty. So uh, both teams, I would say, defended very well, and you know, unfortunately, the Bucks just struggled even more than I would say the Raptors did. And um, obviously, in that second half, the Raptors just were able to have a few different spells where they kind of took advantage of some of the things the Bucks, um, you know, I think Greg Monroe got exposed a little bit in the fourth quarter, uh, and, you know, Giannis and Chris Middleton played really poorly. And yeah. when when Giannis and Chris both shoot, you know, a combined, when they combine for 10 out of 32 from the field and only 4 out of 7 from the foul line, you're not going to score many points. Um, so despite the best efforts of Tony Snell, this was, um, you know, ultimately a game that, You'd have to say the Bucks um, are gonna are gonna regret, and I think their probability of winning the series is dropping now to thirty three percent at uh, five thirty eight, which makes sense because they've lost home court now, and they have to take two out of three despite playing two out of the next three if necessary in Toronto. I think the the interesting thing is I was uh, as the fourth quarter was happening, all I could think of was man, they just cannot get a stop now. Lowry yeah. like had kind of gotten into things, and DeRozan was obviously going the whole day. And that was all I could think was in the fourth quarter, like, man, they're just not getting enough stops. And then like I had to like kind of stop myself and be like, wait, they've gotten a ton of stops <laughs> like the entire day, and now's the only time right. that they just seemingly can't get one. And if the offense had done anything to this point, like at I mean, they would they would have won. So um, uh, the tough part here is this is I think the hard thing for me to reconcile is this is the first time this series I've thought the Raptors looked better than the Bucks. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think there's any arguing today that the Raptors were the better team, or the Bucks looked worse than the Raptors. Correct. Maybe maybe Correct. more negative than than one team being good, but sure. better, better, right? Yeah, but your point taken, absolutely. So this this is the first time in four games I've felt that. So first three games, Bucks I thought were either equal, which I thought they were in game two, yeah. or considerably better in games one and three. So now uh, I'm supposed to look at this series and say, okay, well, how are they going to win two out of three in these final three games? And well, in my mind, they were the better team in three of four. Yeah. So like it, it is obviously a very tough road for the Bucks, and I think there's a lot of reason to think like, oh, okay, well. This this is just too hard. They're they're the three seed. They have three. They have two of three at home. You, you have to beat them twice. Like it just all seems so hard. But then when you think about the series and what you've actually seen in the series, you're like, is it that hard? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like I I just keep going back and forth uh, in that regard. And uh, like you had mentioned, this is this is also probably the first game we've seen both Giannis and Chris be bad on the same night. In yeah. game two, we saw some bad Giannis. And there's been up and down Middleton uh, throughout. But, yeah, if they're both bad, uh, I mean, uh, there's just no way that you're going to win unless you have the Tony Snell game or <laughs> or unless Greg Monroe manages to finish a couple more that he ends up getting offensive rebounds on. But for me to go down the line of this game and say, I think Monroe played well, I think Tony Snell played well, Maybe Thon, like I, I have yeah. to, I have to take a pause there and think. Maybe Thon played well, so I have three guys that I feel confident played well in your what six point game at multiple points during the fourth quarter. It seemed that that was the hill that they could never right. get over. Once it got to six, they just couldn't get that last little bit. But again, this isn't the same as game two where coming out of the youth development. Okay. You had two shots that you could have hit right. that you normally hit that would have won you the game. It's you don't feel quite that good, but you still know that okay, this is the first time they've played bad this entire series, and you think okay, going forward they're probably not going to play bad. That's the question. Right? I mean, you know, like the the kind of regular season paranoid Bucks fan view is that this was kind of inevitable. I mean, looking at their offensive ratings from the first three games. I mean, keep in mind, we came to the series talking about how the Raptors were now a much higher ceiling team, mainly because they now have all, you know, a bunch of defenders who they can throw on the court and, and try to shut you down. And the first three games, the Bucks' offensive rating was 111, 109, and 117, <laughs> um, you know, which is... God, we're a, so smart. 
Yeah, I just calculated those in my head. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we think, you know, it's like you think, like, oh, this is the matchup. Like, oh, the Bucks are going to struggle to score whatever because the Bucks have, you know, generally been pretty good offensively. But, you know, Raptors have weapons. Um, well, up until today, for, for as much as we've seen kind of flashes of different guys, you know, giving Giannis and Middleton maybe some problems. Really, Giannis is the guy that I think we've, you know, been – or. or in general, people have been looking for, like, oh, who's going to stop Giannis? Mm-hmm. You know, Tucker, oh, that, Tucker can be physical with, with Giannis, and, you know, Ibaka can challenge Giannis at the rim, things like that. But the end result has been, even when Giannis in the first few games hasn't always been lights out. Um, and I think this is the third straight game where they've done really well choking off Giannis in transition. Um, but, you know, until this game, he had always sort of found a way, and the Bucks overall had found a way to score um, efficiently, and it didn't happen. I think the interesting thing is, you know, the Bucks have defended or, or rebounded defensively really well in all these games. And with the Raptors going small now, you'd expect that you'd continue to be able to do that. So, you know, defensively, again, I think it does set up an interesting dynamic because, um, you know, previously it was Valanchunas against Maker and sort of this interesting dynamic in the starting five of like, okay, can, you know, can Toronto somehow take advantage of that? Or is the Bucks sort of... Um, mobility advantage is that going to kind of dominate and so far that's what we'd seen now we kind of have more of a like for like kind of matchup because you've got Ibaka against Maker to start and then you've got Valanchunas and Monroe uh, matching up off the bench and Valanchunas was five out of five today I mean he pretty much only took dunks and layups so he really wasn't you know he's playing within himself and, and he was effective the only Raptor reserve to even score today um another one where it's you'd say if, well if you knew that no other Raptor off the bench would score, you'd probably feel pretty good. Um, I think Greg, I want to say going into the fourth quarter, Greg might have only had like three or four or five points, something like that. Like four. Yeah, and then he just went to work in the fourth quarter. I mean, there was the one possession where, what, they got like three or four offensive yeah. rebounds, the lid was on the rim, and he just would not be denied and, and eventually laid it in after I think him and Beasley and Giannis all had yeah. shots to, to score. And at that point, you know, the Bucks were still kind of battling in it, but as you were saying... They they just could not get out of trading baskets in the fourth yeah. quarter, and you know the, the hard part. And we talked about the other day that Moose is really the only guy that you can really look to attack if you're the Raptors from an exploit, you know, kind of exploiting defensive standpoint. And um, they were able to do that a few times in that fourth quarter, and you know they were running again. What else? High pick and rolls, and um, you know tr- wipe, trying to wipe out Dally. And man, I have to say, we had good seats today. Like. You watch, I mean, and this isn't specifically Delhi, but I mean, the guards against playing, when you defend the Raptors guards, you have to work so damn hard and you cannot make any mistakes. And Delhi fighting to get through all these screens, I mean, eventually they, they were able to get sort of those Lowry versus Monroe type situations. And they had another one where it was a side pick and roll from the far corner and, you know, got became a wraparound for Valanchunas for a layup. And um, those were really kind of deflating plays because not only did the Raptors score but you know they got easy buckets Lowry got a couple layups um Valanciunas got a layup and they just you know the Bucks seemingly couldn't you know they'd score and then they'd immediately give a bucket and then obviously they had other situations where they did get stops and they just could never get over that hump and you know Giannis 0 of 7 in the in the second half um you know two out of four from the line was not getting you know many calls um which I think is a uh an interesting talking point and and certainly anytime Giannis struggles an interesting talking point I mean I don't know from your view what was it today that that kind of threw Giannis off we talked about he had a a rough start to game two but did eventually kind of come around and finish strong there Um, but today you know I mean again if you want to hold guys to high standards you know you'd say Giannis was sort of central to this team losing today because yeah. um, as much as he still made plays defensively and he has a high floor obviously because he always can be effective defensively um, his struggles offensively six out of 19 from the field seven turnovers you know again a couple maybe questionable offensive foul calls things like that but you know he was out of character for much of the game and um, he was bad you know I mean yeah. by, by his high standards uh, he was he was not the Giannis we're used to, and it's hard to win when when Giannis as well as Chris Middleton just have games like this. I know after the game, uh, I didn't get a ton of time to talk to Alex Belder because post game is kind of uh, just a production uh, as soon as you get into the playoffs. But we talked a little bit, and the question we we were going back and forth on was, 
that was Giannis's worst game since blank. And we were trying to think of one. And honestly, like, I don't know. Again, I don't count the San Antonio game where he was sick. The Detroit, he had that Detroit game where they won. Yeah. But like, he was bad. Correct. But it, like, didn't really matter, but, yeah. And, and like, as we were thinking of, of games, the one that, like, came to me was Lakers last year where it was kind of the same thing where he was, like, pounding the ball a little bit. He had, I think that game he had, like, five turnovers, something like that. And those are the nights when I think Giannis can be really bad when he's not shooting well, he's pounding the ball, and, he, and he's turning it over. And as far as reasons for why that happened, I think one big one is, you mentioned it earlier, since game one, the Raptors are just not allowing Giannis to get into transition. And they're doing that by throwing guards around the half-court line to make sure that he can't get a running start. They're mm-hmm. they're doing whatever they can to get back, and and that, that might be also why their offensive rebound rate has been correct. so low because it, they're it's a priority, right? They're being conservative and probably not crashing the glass maybe as much as they used they they might normally. But, yeah. yeah, and and I guess also in that was before the game when we had uh, availability with Dwayne Casey, he had said one thing that he was kind of disappointed in his team with was that they were letting they were letting Thon be I think he called him a rabbit type where. He just sprints as hard as he can down the floor, and their bigs aren't keeping up with them. And I, I didn't think of this, but he said part of the problem was that their bigs weren't keeping up with them, so then their wings would stick on into the middle of the floor with the bigs to try to help out. And then there were so many times in, in, the last three, in the first three games where you saw Middleton get a catch on the wing at, say, 19 seconds on the clock, quick pump fake, one dribble, wide open shot. You'd see Tony Snell get a transition three. You'd see uh, Brogdon even in, in some of those games, he would get transition threes. And to that moment, I hadn't thought like, oh, the reason for that is they're trying to track Thon and mm. the bigs aren't doing it. And well, when you switch out Jonas Valanciunas for Serge Ibaka, that problem kind of goes away. Right. Um, so, so again, that's another reason why the Bucks aren't getting out in transition. And both Jason Kidd and Giannis mentioned after the game that that's the big thing. Like both of them totally unprompted. What was the biggest problem today? What did you guys see? And both of them said tempo. Our pace wasn't fast enough. And again, that's a strange thing to say. They're the slowest team. I think one of the two slowest teams since the all-star break. So like, what could you possibly mean by that? And Jason mentioned like, well, you know, we weren't even trying to push a lot of the times we would walk it up the floor. And I think what's been big this series is, Obviously, cross matches are huge for the Bucks at any time, but if you push right away, and even if you don't get anything, and I made a joke that I was rewatching the game, uh, I was rewatching game three, and Bucks fans were clapping when they would reset out of transition. So it would be push it down, and then at like 14, they'd reset, and Bucks fans would be clapping, I'd assume because they're conditioned by Bo Ryan making <laughs> just the slowest basketball on earth, but they were actually clapping for that. But what I, I guess what I didn't even think about was, oh, if you do that, you get to keep those cross matches in the half court, and then all of a sudden that's where you get your advantages, and and you can do some of that. And I thought for the most part today, there just wasn't a lot of possessions where I thought Giannis had a mismatch that he liked in a location that he liked. Like there might have been times where one he was in a location. Um, I know he he obviously likes to post up smaller guys, and there's a couple times where he was able to post up PJ Tucker, but. Again, maybe it was too late in the clock. It wasn't quite exactly where he wanted it. Or maybe he would get a switch with DeRozan or something like that, but he'd be at the top of the key, and that's not a great spot for him to try to initiate from. And what that led to was pounding the ball, trying to beat somebody off the dribble. And again, for all of the, the things Giannis is great at, if he has to beat someone off the dribble with a defense that's relatively set, with two or three guys able to help off him, well, it's going to be difficult. He doesn't have a jump shot. So he's legitimately going at a wall of three guys. So um, as far as I think logically why he struggled today makes quite a bit of sense. Um, I don't know if I would have thought it would be quite as drastic with just a single change to the starting lineup to get four quick guys on the floor with one big. But I think logically when you see Giannis struggle in a playoff series, in a playoff game, most of the reasons you're probably going to be able to figure out pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, like, and we all want to, like, find the thing that explains what what changed, you yeah. know? 
And, you know, the Raptors have been going small and putting P.J. Tucker on the court and doing different things. I mean, the only difference today was, was Norm Powell playing major minutes. Yep. Um, but, I mean, the Raptors have been doing... It's not like the Raptors were playing Valanciunas 40 minutes a game before no. today, right? So the idea that, like, oh, you know, now it's, like, this monumental change and now the Bucks have to find an answer to this thing that they hadn't seen before. Yeah. I mean, that's not the case, right? Yeah. Um, I think this is, the th- you know, other than game one, they've gotten back on defense very well uh, yeah. overall. And it's interesting that Casey mentioned what, what he did about Maker because I think that intuitively makes sense. I mean, it's, it's very rare. I mean, it's kind of the thing you saw with, like, Larry Sanders, too. Like, the fact that you can run up and down the court quickly is mostly useless as a big guy in terms of, you know, you're not just going to get touchdown passes, if, you know, like, unless you play with, like, I mean, Kevin Love of, or something I like mean, that. I think but, of, like, the completion percentage. Like, yeah, the Raptors have right. tried how many in this series right. to Ibaka, and they all get knocked away because right. it's a really difficult pass to make in the NBA. <laughs> right. But it is it is obviously interesting because it does, obviously, you know, ideally you, you can force the defense to maybe bend and contort um, a little bit, maybe they, they in a way that they wouldn't. Um, so anyway, but I think it's going to be really interesting because, you know, the the this playoff series and and the playoffs in general. I mean, Giannis and his um, high level of play have been such a big storyline for a lot of people who don't watch the Bucks, mm-hmm. And it's kind of been interesting because people have been talking about it as though Giannis is doing stuff like different from what he Where always did does. Where come from? Yeah, and it's kind of like, he's just doing the crap he did all year. Not yeah. crap, but like he's doing the stuff he did all year. And so it's exciting that people are taking note and getting excited about it. And, you know, I think like, hey, I, I'm I I don't want to stop the Giannis hype train. I'm I'm happy about it, um, but I hope like you know yeah he, he had a clunker today, yeah. and you know the Raptors deserve some credit. Um, I think uh, Jason Kidd didn't exactly um, go David Fisdale in uh, in his post game. Did not. Um, he kind of alluded to uh, I forget. I'll, I'll let you describe, but I. I will say this. I think the Raptors have done very well in terms of um, probably fouling Giannis low rather than just, you know, they're not just like raking him across the arms because those are easy to see. Um, but he's gotten, I'm trying to think like, I think the last three games, I don't know if he's taken a free throw in the first half of any of these last three games. It seems like the Raptors are doing well being kind of bumping him and pushing him when he goes to lane without like being just, like, super obvious about it. And I think he's probably being fouled a fair bit. Um, but he's not getting calls. I mean, bottom line, he's still getting... Like, today, I mean, he still had a lot of good looks that he just, you know, just barfed on, right? I mean, yeah. there were a couple, like, in the second half, like, I think on the one, like, you know, he had, like, a, a point-blank shot that he underlaid. And, you know, there are just plays here that he's just he's just missing, right? And late yeah. in the fourth quarter, it looked like the Bucks were on their way to losing, they just roll way off him, and he just says, okay, I'm just going to take this like wide-open 17-foot jump shot. I don't mind that he takes that shot. No. They're down. They need quick buckets. And he misses, and it's just like, well, I mean, it just looks bad, but um, he has to make those shots. And he did hit some jump shots early. He yeah. he actually had, you know, the second quarter, he's, I think he started well, like one out of six or something like that, and I think he was five out of six in the second quarter. He got on a really nice run, had that monster dunk in transition where DeRozan kind of made his business decision. Uh, by the way, I never heard that phrase until you started using it, so shout out to you, Eric. Yeah. Um, DeRozan kind of bailed out. Giannis has yeah. a huge dunk. I think they're up 33-26 at that point. You kind of got that feeling like, okay, neither team can score much. Like, is this maybe a point in the game where the Bucks can build a lead and then if they can maintain that defensive intensity, maybe they can just yeah. play from the front throughout and... Yeah. Um, Dwayne Casey takes a timeout and the lead evaporated pretty much immediately. It was a 7-0 run yeah. immediately out of that timeout. Yeah. And that, that just craziness. Cause right. the energy in that, ugh, man, yeah. when he hammers that down and the fact that it goes through the net and hits DeRozan <laughs> and it, like just, there was so much there for the energy, the belief, like the idea that, okay, the Bucks could legitimately take a three, yeah. one lead. And like you said, timeout. 7-0 run, and all of a sudden, there's just nothing. And yeah. that with the way both offenses were playing, man, if you take a 8-point lead into the half, if you take a, I mean, 
even a six-point lead. Like, right. that, today, big. that would have felt huge. Like, that right. would have felt like a 12-point lead. I feel like I'm talking about Wisconsin Badgers basketball right now. But uh, Then Bronson Koenig came down, <laughs> kind of comes out, and, you know, maybe Nigel Hayes hit some free throws, you know. Um, well, speaking of that, the Bucks shot free throws yes. like the Badgers today yeah. as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... I think the interesting thing is is every time you talk to Giannis after a game and you try to suggest that something has changed, something makes him struggle, that the other team did anything, it's just like, no, like I just miss shots. And, and again, like I would obviously I, I keep trying to push a little bit and see if I can get something more out of him. And it was just funny that he was, I was like, did the physicality affect like those shots that you missed? He's like, no, I just missed shots. And I was like, well, what about the seven turnovers? Because being physical shouldn't yeah. relate to, and he's like, no, same thing. And yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. That, that's totally fair. Um, but something you had mentioned was, I feel like at some point, I hate that the playoffs are this way, but you, you as a coach have to play the game. And what I mean by playing the game is, you have to complain about officiating. You have to complain about something small and seemingly minuscule that going forward can get you some sort of advantage. And, I mean, we saw David Fisdale do it. We've seen... Uh, Dwayne Casey Dwayne, tried to do it. Dwayne Casey yeah. do it with Delhi screens. And I, I think there's been... I don't know if it's had a huge impact, but maybe Delhi hasn't said quite as vicious of screens or anything like that. Maybe he hasn't bitten anybody of late, <laughs> like, secretly on the court. Yeah. Correct. But... Like, I, I just feel like you have to play that game, and I, I've thought throughout this series, one, we haven't seen a Giannis double-digit double free throw night, and I, I can't think of games this year where he got double-digit free throws and attacked any less than he has in this series. Like, he's been attacking the rim, and when you look on the other side, DeMar DeRozan is getting double-digit free throws regularly throughout yeah. this series. So I do feel like there's something there, and uh, you mentioned that Jason kind of mentioned it, um, but he said, for us, from the first play of the game, we knew they were going to reach, and they reached all night. They were the beneficiaries of the reach in the sense of being able to get their hands on balls and steals. We have to be tougher on the ball. This was a physical game, and the referees were letting the players play. So... Honestly, as it was happening, I was thinking in my head, like, oh, he's going to go for it right now. Uh, but but he never did. And part of me wonders, like, Giannis, again, Giannis was bad today. Giannis forced action a lot today. The ball wasn't moving enough, and he was just kind of trying to barrel into people. But for Giannis to take 19 shots, for Giannis to attack as much as he did, and for Giannis to shoot four free throws... right. And so, what, something doesn't add up. And I think, and I think, I think um, maybe it was all the Bucks on Twitter mentioned... I think he took 11, 11 of his shots came in the paint and only four free throws. And that just doesn't seem logical. Yeah, yeah there, there were a number of plays where it seemed like his momentum weirdly shifted away, away from yeah. the basket. Um, and, and this and, is, as I was say, this is something I've said on Twitter multiple times, I think maybe on the podcast before, but if I was a coach at any level, I would play small literally as much as possible. Yeah. Because as soon as you are the smaller guy by... Uh, let's say two or more inches like and maybe 10 pounds you can as long as you're lower than that player you can do pretty much whatever you want like you can be very handsy yeah. you can reach a lot you can just be all over and smother people and like you said as long as you're low like if they can't physically see your arms get very far away from your torso you can do whatever you want yeah. you can grab you can pull on shorts like you can get away with so much and and I mean, a day where the Raptors go small and go with four guys, four small guys in their starting lineup for a good amount of time, that's to me, that's not surprising that today was a day where I would feel like, oh, they got away with some stuff and maybe they were a little bit more handsy today. Like, that doesn't surprise me that today was the day that I feel this way. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, we, we the, the vernacular about going small is so interesting and I think there's been some stuff written about the Bucks, how, you know, they can go small but still be like super, still be like super tall, yeah. right? Because Giannis and Thon are seven footers and really long, and you know they have obviously a lot of length on the wing as well. So I think you know it's interesting because I mean, really with with going small, I mean generally the idea is just that you're trying to become more skilled and more versatile, really. I mean, yeah. right? Like you don't want s small guys just for the sake of being small, right? <laughs> like no one wants me on the court at five <laughs> ten and a half. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing, I think, with, with um, Toronto is, you know, when they go to, quote-unquote, small, uh, P.J. Tucker, 
you know, Carroll, I mean, Carroll hasn't been great, but um, guys like Norm Powell, I mean, they're guys who are, can, can play physical. Uh, Powell's very athletic. Tucker's not like athletic per se, but I think defensively, he obviously plays bigger than he is. Yep. Uh, and so they can play in ways that like aren't necessarily, you know, consistent with like, oh, you're, you're small, you're just going to get beat up, right? And so I think it does create sort of an interesting dynamic and, um, you know, it does kind of create more natural matchups with the big, the big centers in the second units and things like that. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, but as we said, I mean, they've been going small for long stretches yep. throughout the series and the Bucks have generally been always better than them overall in yeah. these games. So it's not like, you know, again, it's not like we're seeing Valanciunas play suddenly no minutes or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, why, why should the Bucks certainly be doomed? Um, I, I, I thought, you know, when we were waiting for Kid, and this is kind of one of these things, like, I think people, especially people who don't like Kid, obviously don't like the fact that, you know, he didn't kind of go after the officiating. You know, I think it would have been a good message even if just to kind of protect Giannis and, mm-hmm. you know, give Giannis, I mean, even if you, I mean, again, I don't think, like, Giannis was incapable of having a good game today, regardless of, of you know, foul calls or lack of foul calls. Um, but, you know, Jason Kidd has $188 million in career earnings. He's probably not worried about his, his bank account too much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it would have been kind of nice of him to maybe um, play that game a little bit. But, obviously, that's not typically the way Kidd no. does business. He pretty much... You know, mostly he doesn't kind of say anything at all. I mean, all. he doesn't really get teed um, up in games no, either. Like, no. uh, other than the Zach Zarba incident. The like, ball slapping, yeah. Like, other than that, like, that's not something he does. Like, right. And there's plenty of NBA coaches that believe in that. That, right. okay, if my guys aren't getting calls, I'm going to send a message in the third quarter and go off on an official, get that technical, and then hopefully the idea being that the rest of the game that you're going to get some calls. And um, that, that's not something he normally does. Yeah. And, I mean, interesting, I mean, the... I think, you know, if you look at the fouls, I mean, the Raptors, 19 fouls today, the Bucks 21 fouls. I mean, so it wasn't like yeah. a super big, you know, it wasn't like a huge disadvantage. In the fourth quarter, the Bucks got in the penalty very early. Um, thanks largely, I think, Monroe just basically being, just beasting on the boards. He had five offensive rebounds. Um, but it just obviously wasn't kind of enough. They went back to, to Thon eventually. But uh, at that point, I kind of think the game was, was out of reach and the Bucks sort of just... The Bucks looked frustrated, right? I mean, they yeah. looked frustrated, and they didn't really have any answers. And, you know, uh, Middleton, probably the, the end of the first, beginning of the second quarter, that was the one period where, as we mentioned, you felt like the Bucks might be going in a good direction. Middleton hits two buckets to end the first quarter to tie it. You kind of felt like, okay, maybe Middleton's shaking out of his slump. I think he only hit one more shot the rest of the game yep. after the after the first quarter. Uh, and Giannis then gets going in the second quarter. You kind of feel like, okay, Giannis is now getting loose. Um, but it was interesting being in the building in that third quarter, it was like the crowd was, you know, coming back from halftime, dead, dead, silent, zero energy from the crowd. And it was like, they were kind of waiting for the bucks to give them something. And both teams just kind of like would trade a basket every few minutes. Like there just wasn't much going on. And so there was zero energy in that building. There was no energy from, from, I mean, I don't want to say there's no energy from the players because I think. There was still defense being played, but offensively it was just very not sharp, and the crowd... You can only cheer getting a defensive rebound so many times. At some point, it's not that exciting. And basically, by the way, just because this reminds me of this, uh, I don't know if you heard the... I think it was a Low Post podcast with with Jeff Van Gundy recently, and Jeff they were talking about pace of the game, Mm -hmm. and Van Gundy was saying how he doesn't understand why they even have halftime, and they should just get rid of halftime. And I'm thinking, I'm listening to this, it's like... When was you don't go to games as a fan, do you, Jeff? Because <laughs> they are still social events, right? Like, yeah, you kind of need to go to the bathroom. Correct. Teams like to sell concessions. There's more stuff going on than just basketball, right? And look, I wouldn't. I, I would probably be okay if it was, you know, like a quarter, another quarter break, and yeah. it's just like you just kind of moved on with it. Because I'm not. I don't eat or drink that much at games. But like today, like I went and go. I, I went and saw uh, Hawaiian Joe Valent. Uh, who many people might remember from all the Bucks West Coast road trips. I've seen Joe a few times. I've never seen him in Milwaukee. He was at the game. I talked to Joe for a few minutes. Um, I, I, I talked a couple other people um, with the Bucks that I hadn't seen in a long time. Talked to them for a few minutes. And so I literally get back to my seat right as the quarter is starting. So, yeah, you, you, you need to have some kind of halftime, yeah. Jeff Van Gundy. I mean, I don't think Jeff is an avid listener of Lockdown Bucks, but um, I just thought like that was so like weirdly tone deaf to what fans like to do at games yeah but, um but yeah it, it was interesting because it did seem like 
and not that the Bucks had a ton of momentum going into halftime, um, but it, uh, I guess, yeah, it was at the, it was at the end of second quarter where Brogdon had Giannis streaking for that alley oop, right, and then he got if it knocked that, away. I, I uh, mean, then yeah. they win the game, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of a frustrating game. And Brogdon, who we haven't mentioned for good reason, I mean, he was pretty invisible. One out of four shooting, two points, five rebounds, three assists, four turnovers. Um, you know, Delhi also one out of four, three assists. One turnover. Uh, I mean, look, both guys worked really hard defensively. You know, I don't think we're going to complain about their defensive efforts much, even though, you know, Lowry was better. 18 points on 17 shots isn't great, but... Um, but Second half, he had 12 he was good. points. Yeah, he was good. He, he was good. He made plays down the stretch, and obviously, you know, DeRozan was effective overall. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the and I think maybe that's where the the Raptors sort of switchability, maybe that was where more also where it was felt because there just weren't, you know, other than Tony, like nobody was guarding Tony Snell for whatever reason. No. Um, but everybody else just had a really hard time kind of getting on track. And um, yeah, I mean, when you're point guard, you know, this is, we kind of joke about how the Bucks point guard depth is not great and relative to the rest of the league and the yeah. golden era of, of point guards, as much as we might like Malcolm Brogdon, and as much as Delhi might be, you know, passable as a backup, they got nothing from those guys today. And, uh, it, yeah, it's tough to win games. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, the Bucks are constructed about around, obviously, not their point guards. And yeah. it's about Middleton, Giannis, and, and, you know, offensively, Monroe, obviously, is a big factor. But, uh, but it was tough. And, you know, other than Monroe in the fourth quarter, you know, Beasley... Two out of nine shooting, four points. He didn't really bring much of anything. He was a plus three. Uh, they did have a little bit of success with that bench unit. Um, Terry also was a plus five. He was the best plus minus on the team. Um, they got occasional shots of energy from from the bench guys. But So here's, here's one thing I was thinking about today. When, again, I've only seen the game once. We're recording at 8 o'clock. Like, I left the Bradley Center, came over here, and started recording. So I've only seen the game once. But one thing that kind of stuck out to me today was I didn't feel like the Bucks' spacing was particularly good. It felt like a lot of times where Middleton would have the ball and Giannis would be cutting, he'd be cutting on top of Monroe, he'd be cutting on top of Maker, and you wouldn't see the... When the Buck, I feel like when the Bucks are really clicking, you're going to see like a couple back doors where it's, a, it's an easy cut, it's an easy pass, and everything is just kind of flowing and moving. And, and in the same way, when Giannis was going, like... For some reason, Middleton would be curling, and he'd be curling on top of Maker or Monroe. And I, I don't know, like, it felt like the spacing was bad, and part of me wondered, like, if on that second unit it was Toledovich instead of Beasley, like, something would have clicked where everyone would have realized, like, okay, Tony Snell has shot 10 threes, like, is shooting all the threes, right. and he's shooting all the threes because, one, he was hot, and the Bucks were trying to feed him, but at times... The Raptors just don't pay attention to shooters. And throughout this series, the Bucks have gotten a ton of wide-open threes. And it, it didn't feel like those were there today. And obviously, I think part of that is going playing Norman Powell 34 minutes helps you cover a lot of those spots a lot better. But it, 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 just, seemed, it just felt like something might have been wrong with the Bucks spacing, with the Bucks getting out and getting those open threes today. And maybe that's just in my mind, but it feels like that was kind of the case. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard thing with, with Beasley and Toledovich because they do different things. And I think Beasley is a better matchup for the Raptors defensively, as much as Beasley's not like, you yeah. know, any type of lockdown defender. Uh, he's just, he's more switchable. And, you know, he, again, you know, I, I keep thinking that that was it, I think, was it DeRozan got him to bite on a pump fake, like on the perimeter, and he fouled him late in the clock. But um, but I, I think this is a tougher series probably for Toledovich. Maybe with Patterson out there, you could get him out there. But again, they'd probably look to put Toledovich into pick and rolls, yep. and um, and that's that's kind of tougher to, to deal with. And, and that's kind of the hard part with Beasley and Toledovich, and this is why, you know, they've, they've both kind of been in and out of the rotation so much is because you, you just... You just don't know game to game who's going to show up. You're and, literally just hoping for a hot night. Right. Like you're hoping right. you roll the dice and you it was a good roll and they're hot <laughs> that night. Right. Like that's it. Right. And tonight Beasley wasn't good. Um, you know, just didn't have his game going. Um, Talavich didn't have his game going in the first two games and Beasley was good on Thursday. Yeah. So, of course, I don't blame Kid at all for, for playing Beasley and um, and they played he played him with Middleton to start, which I thought was smart because, again, I, I don't like Beasley... With Giannis, with Giannis yeah. as much, I think, just from a 
fluidity, offensive fluidity standpoint, um, it just doesn't quite, it might make quite as much sense. So, um, so I don't know. Any, any other thoughts or, I mean, I, I have maybe one, one other thought just on sort of the, the atmosphere at the game, but any other kind of game related thoughts you had? I would say, um, we've talked about how difficult it is to guard Kyle Lowry. And, and I think we've seen Brogdon had, I think four points, nine assists in the last game, Delhi 10 points and a couple assists in that one today. Brogdon, two points, three assists. Delhi two points, three assists as well. It, it feels like when a guy like Kyle, Kyle Lowry is on the floor for 43 minutes, that there's just not going to be an overwhelming positive there. Like, it just seems impossible to me that if he's going to play that much, that Brogdon or Delhi can really affect a game. Like there Again, game one, I think Brogdon was very good. Game two, he started to maybe decline a little bit, and maybe it was just game one, game one Raptors, or maybe it was Lowry just not quite paying enough attention, paying him enough respect. But at this point, I feel like the Bucks can't really count on getting a positive contribution at the point guard position, which uh, speaks to obviously the problems that we've already mentioned many times on the podcast that there's not, they don't have enough there, but. When you think about that and then add to the fact that Lowry's probably going to be a plus most nights, and then you add to the fact that, all right, how how are you going to get Tony Snell to be a plus? Like, Giannis and Chris, and again, this is a silly thing to say, Giannis and Chris have to be good. Yeah. And, and like, there's just... Hashtag analysis. Yeah, but there's just not a way for this team to find wins. Like, like there's no other talent on this team that's quite enough. Like, Monroe's been great through four games I, I don't think he's had i'm trying to think what his worst one was and i can't yeah. I, I, the, I mean he the first few quarters today he wasn't a big factor but then he single-handedly kind of kept him in the game even if defensively he had some problems in the fourth but yeah i mean overall like you look at his numbers like what are you going to complain about with greg Monroe? so he's yeah. totally fine but like he's not he's not going to will you to a win right so it's got to be Giannis and chris and uh, again i i think maybe the reality of that set in a little bit today because this it was obviously the first day that they both played bad on the same day, but um, I don't know. Like, it, it's comforting because Giannis is the best player in this series, but it's also not quite all that comfortable because you just understand how much pressure is on those two guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, today was the first day where you you know you would look at it and you say, "Well, Giannis definitely wasn't the second best. Well, definitely wasn't the best player no. in the series today, and um, probably not. I don't know." We, Tony Snell was better than him today, right? Yeah. Like he was the fifth best player or something like that. Ooh, while we're on Tony Snell. Tony Snell hitting a double crossover pull-up. Yeah, I was what? I was like, what are you doing? I, and, then was... they, and then they ran the J.J. Redick play for him, and he hit a curl screen <laughs> three. Like, And it was a contested curl yeah. three. Like, that... Incredible. That was crazy. Like, we were we were that left... He pulled... It was a left hand. Uh, he was dribbling up the left-hand side, pull-up. I can't remember if it was early early fourth or late third. But we were that from going down from this being the Tony Snell game. Yeah. Well, and we, you know, you're, we were joking about the Raptors not paying attention to Tony Snell. That's been part of it, especially early in the series when they were, like, you know, defending him with Serge Ibaka yeah. for whatever reason. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he hit some shots that also were, you know, I mean, pretty he, contested. I mean, he today, was but. keeping the Bucks in the game when yeah. they couldn't do anything offensively. Right. And, and our friend Steve Von Horn had a good tweet, I thought, cause I, and I forget the exact phrasing he used, but... You know, the, the fact that Tony Snell is your leading scorer becomes sort of an increasingly problematic thing as a game goes on. Like, it's yeah. it's cool if Tony Snell gets the fast start and you know, everything's going well, but, you know, when it's the, the fourth quarter, last, and yeah. yeah, when it's the fourth quarter and Tony Snell has, you know, 16, 19 points, whatever it is, <laughs> and he's your best player, it's kind of like, mm, who else, what's going on with the other guys? Um, so, anyway, that's, that's not great. One thing I did want to mention, I think he had one nice pass today, and I can't even remember when it was. But it happened again today, and I thought, I have to mention this on the podcast. Um, Thonmaker's passing has become, like, at times a weapon. He's uh, been doing some things, yeah. You know, and, and generally he's made some plays. He had the Eurostep in transition yep. where it looked like he got fouled by Serge Ibaka, and Ibaka kind of, like, took it in the face, and then he rolled around on the ground for a while. Um, and I think Snell eventually followed up yep. with the basket. But, uh, but there, there have been kind of increasing flashes of Thon looking very comfortable 
sort of in like contained situations, let's say with the ball. Um, he's had some very nice kind of kickouts in the first game or two to the perimeter. He had a nice little dump off to Giannis after he put it on the floor early in game three. Um, I think it was a, I don't know, you know what, I think it was a, like a, a pass from, I think the top of the key, like and to, to like a cutter or something like that today. But, um, you know, if, oh, did if, he hit Brogdon? Yeah, I think it might have been that might have been Brogdon's only basket that, and that way up. Yeah, when yeah. they blew when it was Lowry and Durrells and they yeah. blew the switch and down yeah. through it from the top. Yeah, yeah. So that that is that's a positive. It so is. So let's let's end this on positive. There's, there are not usually many positives from a game in which the Bucks score seventy six points at home, lose home court advantage, and see their probability of winning the series um, basically get cut in half. Um, but I'll I'll leave. I'll leave it on a positive in the sense that I mean I you know I don't live in Wisconsin I come back probably three or four times a year um, I was here for the opener I was here over Christmas saw I think one or two games over Christmas um, and I usually come back late in the season obviously I'm, I came back for this playoff game and it, it's interesting because you know in the middle of a season where maybe things aren't going well and you know like we saw it this year when they were struggling you kind of like start looking at the tankathon standings and you start saying well what is you know are we are we what is this building to this season? Yeah. And, you know, are you just battling for the 10th seed in, in the East? And, um, you know, I don't, I don't really regret, I think like the principle of, of, of what, you know, we discussed at the time, I don't think it was very controversial, right? If you're, no. if you're not really in line to become a playoff team, then, you know, who cares? Right. Um, but you see kind of what the Bucks are able to do and, and get in the playoffs and, and whether you're, you know, barely getting in the playoffs or convincingly getting in the playoffs. Um, being around these games, you know, when the weather starts to turn nice and, oh, April basketball, okay. Uh, being around the team, being around the fans, being sort of in the arena on days like this um, re- reminds you why you want your team to win basketball t- games, <laughs> why you want your team to make the playoffs. Um, you know, a big part of why I've always first written about the team and now we do this podcast is about the sort of the sense of community around rooting yeah. for, you know, a sports team from your home state. And as weird as that is sort of when you think about it from like the tribalistic perspective of, yeah. you know, sociology and why people care about certain things. Um, it's just a game, but it, it is, uh, it is pretty amazing to, to be able to go to these games and see the city kind of wake up and be like, Oh yeah, you know, this, this is really fun and it's great and let's get together and, you know, 18,717 or wherever the capacity of the Bradley mm-hmm. Center is, you know, seeing the crowds kind of come back and get into it. And, you know, we, we know that Wisconsin and Milwaukee, when the Bucks show them something, the fans come back, people get excited, yep. and there are reasons now with this team, I think much more so than even in previous years when people got a little excited, there's reasons to be excited. So regardless of sort of where, you know, the, the team is right at this very moment, and I would say the Bucks' probability of winning the series feels, or statistically is probably the lowest now than it has been ever since sort of the series started, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, it's not lower than it was at the start of the series, I would say. Um, but certainly after game one, winning a road game, that's huge. Splitting the first two, winning the third game, that's big. Um, things are now sort of obviously now suddenly stacked against them again in a way that I don't know if people necessarily fully realize, but... We know that they can beat this Raptor team, and whether they do or not, I think it's exciting to know that there will be a Game 6 uh, in Milwaukee, and you just hope that, at a minimum, they can continue to bring these defensive efforts, and hopefully uh, they can bring a little bit more of the Thursday offense rather than the Saturday offense. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool sort of being around, this, around the, the city right now, and um, I, I guess, yeah, it, it hasn't been a, f- a fun day in the sense of the basketball um, but I, I definitely don't regret coming back and to everybody who I saw today, I'm glad I saw you. You made this a worthwhile trip to the kind of some random people I met who, um, a guy in front of me turns out was one of the longtime commenters on Brew Hoop who I like know, who I like, I was like, oh, that guy's a smart guy. And he was just like, guy sitting just in front guy. of us at the yeah. game. I was like, oh man, he had like told my dad that he like read our site, <laughs> you know, like a few weeks ago. Um, this guy Max, uh, who who I knew from Twitter, he I saw us at, at Goolsby's today and came up and started talking about the podcast. Just kind of stuff like that has been really fun, and so we appreciate everybody listening and um, sticking with us. And um, yeah, 
we'll see. We have the the Bucks have at least two more games left, and hopefully many more than that this season. But um, I guess this is what it's like in the playoffs. Pressure every game, and uh, I think, again, it'll be a really good test for this team to see how they come out on uh, on Monday, which seems like it's very close. Um, but we can talk about that, uh, I guess, probably tomorrow night. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I was going to say, I we're at a point where my fandom is starting to disappear more because obviously I'm covering the team and obviously you have to do some things to stay objective. And I thought I was kind of done having like fan-ish moments, but today I was driving down to the game and I was just in a total hurry today, so I didn't have my iPod with me. Like I didn't have the music I would normally listen to, so I was listening to radio stations and like channel surfing and on two stations, it was like, shout out to the Bucks or like Bucks fans, like hopefully this song will get you jacked or something. Yeah. And it was like, wait a second, like that's a thing radio stations are saying, like <laughs> not sports stations, like pop stations yeah. are saying. It was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then when I pull up and it's, let's see, 11.30, 11.45 to get ready for Jason Kidd's availability before the game, and I pull up and... Barricades are up on 4th Street right by the Bradley Center. There's a screen for people to watch the game. There's already people there at noon, which, I mean, obviously it was a beautiful day, day drinking in Wisconsin, why not? Uh, but the, there was people there, and I'm sitting there taking a picture of the Bradley Center and, like, the pep rally area, and then, like, in the background, you can see, like, the outline of the new arena, right. and it's like whoa, this is all kind of coming together. And as I'm walking in, I'm thinking, okay, if the Bucks win this game, 3-1 to one series lead, like Giannis could be having a playoff moment. Giannis is getting like a higher, higher wrap around the league. And like, it, it, like, like you said, it, there was just kind of this moment where I was like, okay, yeah, like this is why sports are cool. And this is why like being a part of a sports community is something that is fun and exciting and invigorating and I kind of thought I was done having moments like that. Yeah. But I guess maybe the greater lesson is no matter how long you cover a team, how many games you go to, like there's always going to be those moments that remind you like, oh, this is why I loved sports originally when right. I was a kid. Like there's always going to be those things that remind you. And um, yeah, so strangely enough, I kind of had <laughs> a very similar moment to, to what you had. But uh there's game six in Milwaukee, so that'll be fun. There's game five before it, um, and we will we'll try to break it down tomorrow night. Um, somehow Frank's going to fly back and get I'm going gonna, to get up at 4.30 tomorrow morning, and I'll be in oh Texas by noon, and uh, I don't know, maybe I'll take a nap or something like that. But yeah. It all sounds miserable, but you know what? There's always tomorrow. <laughs> there's always another game, and we'll, we'll be all ready to go for it. Uh, game five on Monday. So for Frank Mann, this has been Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, you've reached the high fashion hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. Right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.